It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. We have had some wins for some Welsh regions this weekend, which is uh, uh, which is something to celebrate. Uh, a win at home for Cardiff and a win for the Ospreys in the West Wales derby against uh, Scarlets. So uh, yeah, a few things there for uh, for fans of those teams to um, to cheer about. What else have we got to talk about this week? George North is set to be moving on at the end of the season, which probably comes as no surprise. But we'll be uh, we shall be covering that. And as we get into the uh, into the deep winter months, we of course start having a little think about the Six Nations and who is going to start filling some of those key positions in Warren Gatland's squad. And I am delighted to say, joining us to talk through all those things is Paul. Reese, how are you, Paul? Good, thanks, Jude. Yes, I am. Uh, I am all right, thank you. As we were just saying off air, fighting the the double um, the double whammy of uh, a dose of winter flu and the dragons taking another mauling over the weekend. But um, I suppose at least I'm used to the latter of those. So uh, yeah, my immune system is used to dealing with uh, with savage beatings of pride. So um, uh, so yeah, it's just the flu to worry about. But other than that, all um, all good. Um, right. Let's start, uh, if we can, with with a roundup of, of the URC because we were just chatting off air, and I think there'll be a fair amount of, um, uh, or certainly judging by social media, which is always a dangerous thing. There seems to be a fair amount of cheer around, um, you know, around around Cardiff and uh, and around Australia, if I can call it that, this weekend, given those those two results. Um, but we were saying that you know, the URC as a whole, looking at the bigger picture, you still remain. Thoroughly unconvinced, Paul, don't you, that this competition is is fit for purpose? Yeah, because teams aren't on full buyer every week. I mean, you know, when, when, you know, if you had Leinster against against the Bulls, both full strength, then you've got a, a really good match, haven't you? But it just it, teams travelling away in this league tend to to leave a load behind. Now I know the South African teams have they were without their Springboks for three weeks after the World Cup, so the storm was 
in Cardiff without Libbock and Willems, for example, and, and you know their failure to use the ample possession they won cost them in the end. But um, it, 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 it just seems to me that um, unlike the Premiership where you know they're at it home, home and away, it's very much you, know, you, you, you pick your best team when you're at home and very rarely when you're away. And, and you know, if you're trying to, <clears throat> as, as, as they are in Wales, if you're trying to grow the game, you're trying to you know, in, increase footfalls through, through, through the turnstiles, I don't see the URC as, as being for, for purpose in that sense. No, and you know, I, I think we've kind of made that argument um, a number of times, and I'm certainly of, of a similar of a similar opinion to you. I suppose playing devil's advocate, though, Paul, you could take a look at the Premiership, which we all think is a you know is a is a good product, and uh, and attendances are generally pretty encouraging. Um, although they have seen a dip at the start of this season, it has to be said um, overall. Um, but you've had three clubs go bust, so if we're talking about kind of making a a commercial a commercial success should we really be looking at the the premiership as as that blueprint for success <clears throat> no well, clearly three three going bust and obviously jersey rest the championship champions followed um a few weeks ago didn't they so no because because i mean what the premiership clubs have done what 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 some of the welsh sides did in the past you know, you, you you get owners in making good losses but that there comes a point where they stopped doing that. I mean, that, that happened in the case of London Irish. That's why they went bust. The, 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 the backer suddenly suddenly stopped doing it, couldn't couldn't find anyone to sell it to. The Worcester owners, I think it was slightly more complicated. They were they seemed to be looking for um, a way of of, 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 of of making good some of the assets there. Well, that, that backfired on them. And Wasps, <clears throat> moving from Wickham, where they, where they were, what, a minute from bankruptcy to Coventry, mm just overextended themselves. And I think COVID saw them off. But for COVID, they'd probably still be going, still in debt, but able to manage it because of the huge turnover they were gener- generating at what was the Rico Arena. And it's now the Coventry Boons Society Arena, I think it is. Or the it is, yeah. <clears throat> so I think, you know, I, I think that, that, those are the reasons there. But, um, you know, you've had, you had it in Wales, didn't you? I mean, all, all, and, and, and even last year, the Welsh Rebina was saying you know, for the regions, if they... You know, if they want to, if they want to compete properly, they need they need private owners to top up central funds. Yeah, and obviously this, you know, we we subsequently have seen the dragons go back into private ownership, and uh, you know, I think David Buttress has been pretty cool in terms of saying that they're not going to overexert themselves financially. I suppose the the new proposed Cardiff owners, we don't know a huge amount about what their what their financial plans will be. Um, you know the Ospreys. I suppose their their new ownership is only three. It was mid COVID, wasn't it? That that kind of Y eleven came into came into being. But you know, I think they're still. You know, it would suggest they're still kind of finding their feet in terms of how heavily they're going to invest in. Certainly in terms of the the player base. Um, you know, do you do you just see that 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 private ownership is likely to you know is likely to signal a um, better kind of more competitive. Um, set of sides or do we need to think a lot more radically here and completely rip up the rule book and say right you know let's take a look at South Africa for example because those sides are you know infinitely stronger than than the Welsh sides are Um, we know that South African schools produce a hell of a lot of quality players uh, rugby union as a sport is 
you know, it's still a huge, it's still a huge draw in, um, in South Africa. Do we need to look more radically and say that we've got to work from the bottom up? And as we were saying the other week, you know, should should money be diverted into into resources yeah. and coaching at school level to feed academies, um, to feed potentially, you know, grassroots clubs as well? And something that, that realistically you're not going to see return on for 10 years, but that's where the, the fund should go because we simply we're not going to be able to compete with the with the slim budgets that the regions are on trying to you know to pick up journeymen and and players to, to kind of bulk up the squad yeah i mean i i, I think so and I, I think we argued that a few weeks ago didn't we that um that, yeah that's exactly exactly where you got to stand broaden your base and then if you know if as if, if it funnels to the top they they go elsewhere well then you know, they'll still be playing as well. I mean, you know, you look at George North now, was it Provence? Mm. I mean, I think Midi Olympique a couple of weeks ago published the budgets of the second division French clubs. And the majority of them are greater than, than all the Welsh yeah. regions. I mean, that's, you know, it tells us some story, doesn't it? So, I mean, if you're George North, what is he, 31? Um, you know, he's had a string of concussions and other injuries. You're going to take the money, aren't you? Mad not to. Yeah, I mean, on the other side, on a slightly lighter note, if you are writing his autobiography, there is a chapter called "A Year in Provence" just waiting to be uh, waiting to be written. So, um, you know, look look forward to that when that comes out. Um, but yeah, it is. You know, I suppose if we, it was quite interesting to see um, to see Matt Sherratt's, uh take on the the Cardiff win, which again, I you know, you, we put those wins into context. It has to be said. Uh, we'll start with Cardiff and then move on to the Ospreys. But it has to be said that, you know, this is a side that has been really cobbled together this season. And they've had a lot of near, you know, kind of near misses slash near wins at the start of the season. Whether or not it's a Stormer side that's, that has struggled on tour. And it's still a side really that that I think, you know, took some um, took some beating. So I think firstly, hats off for them getting the result. But Matt Sherritt's take on it was very much... Uh, that we have to use this as an opportunity to blood youngsters and give them, you know, an opportunity to see how good they are. And he kind of quoted a few examples and said, you know, a couple of seasons ago, you'd have had Christian Dacey and Kirby Myhill playing as the the starting one and two hookers. You wouldn't have had, I can't, can't remember who it was, he came off the bench now. Um, but you wouldn't have had him coming off the bench. You had young Mackenzie Martin coming on and playing a key role in in setting up the try at number eight as well. Um, you know, I suppose there is there is a, Again, an argument to say that um, that that's got to be the you know the the silver lining in this is they are going to be getting game time against some quality opposition, um, and if it does result in a win every now and again, then that that boosts the confidence as well. Well, exactly, and and you know, so what Exeter have done this season in the Premiership, isn't it? And they've what have they they they've won five from seven. You know, you look at the players they lost in the summer. A really really good start. I'm hammering Saracens and Sale. At home and picking up the first away win at Newcastle yesterday. So yeah, absolutely right. And I think for you know for Cardiff, that's <clears throat> that's what it was about, wasn't it? On Friday, just getting the results and and you know against the odds, even though the, the Stormers weren't at full board, they still they still clearly dominated possession, didn't they? And sure, the one hands on you look at the reaction from their camp and they're they're seething about it, mm. believing they just completely wasted. Um, you know, numerous opportunities and letting some soft tries, but you know, from from Cardiff's point of view, it's um, it's it's exactly what you want because nothing, nothing, nothing breeds confidence like winning, both among players and 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 supporters as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, the Ospreys uh, handed out, you know, a really comprehensive victory over over the Scarlets and, you know, put by, put to bed the, the loss from the week before. Um, in your opinion, Paul, are they the side that is kind of best positioned in terms of in terms of its playing resources and, and coaches, you know, to have the, the most successful season out of all the Welsh regions? Uh, yes and no. I mean, yes, in, 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 in what you say, no, they're, they're not in the Champions Cup, are they? Mm. So, from, from against Cardiff, but <laughs> where they go first up to lose. So, um, <clears throat> but yes, you would in, in terms of league position. Yes, yeah, so you'd you'd expect Ospreys to be um, to to be to be at the top. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I suppose it's it's a really interesting one this season because what does success look like for a side like the Ospreys? Because you know now that that you know I suppose last season topping that Welsh Shield would be enough for you to qualify for Europe. It's not this year. So what does success? Look? I mean, frankly speaking, if you know if if they were the top. Um, the top Welsh side, you know, there's there's minor bragging rights in that, but you would think that Toby Booth and his and his staff will will be hopefully be targeting something bigger than that, even though even though it's going to be difficult in terms of the yeah the Champions Cup has to be the aim, doesn't it? Has to be, has to be, because if it, if it isn't, then you're 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 happy with a bottom half finish. Well, that can't be right, can it? Even 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 given the the handicap. That they're operating with, you've still got to back yourself to to make the Champions Cup. Got it. Yeah, and as we're saying there, financially as well, what it means, you know, if you, yeah. um, although I, I still don't think it's the draw that it that it once was, as we've discussed many a time, financially there is no, I, there is a huge incentive I, to be in it. I don't think rugby is at the moment, yet. No, it's not. I don't think rugby is. And, and you know, a lot of it, and you, you, you're getting more and more of it, you know, this weekend with the... The concussion lawsuit. I mean, that's that's going to come to a head pretty soon. I, you know, a lot of it is is driven by that, isn't it? It's it's and and you read, you just you know, you read and read it, and phew. but you know, that's it's it's um, it it it's you know, I mean, it's it's, it's graphic, but it's 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 also you know, can you really enthuse about a sport? In which so many of its young participants um, are condemned to an early death. At the end of the day, can you really get worked up about it? Well, not worked up positively. Yeah. You know, that's it, it does. No. You're right. It does set a, a really grim backdrop of what's it's, it's of what's really, important it's, and what's not. It's really grim, and it's just growing and growing. And you know, as a Gloucester on Saturday. They're playing, you know, Pip Gloucester Leicester playing for the Ed Slater Cup, and he's there, and he's he's on the wall. Comes mm. a guy, what thirties, fit as anything, and motor neuron disease, and then the evidence is, you know, more and more linking linking that with head knocks and rugby. It's, it's, it's a, um, it's a big issue, I think. I think, and, you know, coupled with the, you know, the economic environment, it's it's. You know, there are more and more reasons now for for people not to not to watch rugby. They are, and the two things aren't isolated either, are they? Let's be honest. You know, it's firstly, as you mentioned, the human impact of it, as we've covered a number of times on here before, and we've spoken to Alex Popham and we spoke to Sam Peters about um, about some of the stories he's told in his book as well. And it yeah. is, you know, that that is the the first and foremost most important thing is that that human aspect is not is not overlooked. 
But when you bring it back to rugby and the, the commercial aspect, if this blows up as big as it could blow, that that compensation bill is going to have to be footed by someone. And that money yep. is not in the game. You know, it's not no. there. There is, I don't know, in my opinion, I feel like there is a genuine thought that the whole game could go pop at some point. Um, but what, you know, but what, what is being done about it? I mean, okay, they're, they're, they're clamping down on, on, on so-called high shots. But are they... You know, reducing the number of let's call them collisions for one of a better Are they reducing the number of collisions? No, they're still. You know, look at the way scrums are refereed again. I'm Gloucester, and all Leicester were doing. If Gloucester had a scrum in and around halfway or in their own half, Leicester would engage early, go to concede a free kick. Happy to concede a free kick rather than 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 prime attacking ball for the opposition where backs are standing five yards behind. So what do Gloucester do with a free kick? They stick it in the air. What happens then? Freddie Stewart catches it, lets the return of interest. So instead of being punished, you're rewarded. And you know, so so referees then they don't want scrummages to develop this. So you're getting fewer scrummages, more and more breakdowns, more and more collisions, more and more contact, more and more potential head injuries. Why isn't there a, a drive to to either attract more numbers at the breakdown, maybe encourage rucking, as it um, as we used to have, and 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 just and and, and just break up this, this this monotony of just attack after attack after attack, phase after phase after phase, and and make rugby more like it used to be, where set pieces. Or a key part of the play, or do they consider that to be not entertaining for a, for the, for the new audience? But if, in the name of entertainment, the pursuit of entertainment, you're getting more and more collisions, then no matter what 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 um, your campaign you have against against high challenges, you're still going to get many many concussions. Well, there's a number of things to unpack there as well. I think you know, firstly, you're right. Collision is the word. I would say it's the most if you watch any halftime of any game on TV now, one of the pundits will say, so-and-so, Bath are winning the collision. Wales are winning yeah. the collision. And that is fundamentally how you win games of rugby now. You win the collision, yeah. you make yards, and you, you, win the, you win the game by doing that. And, you know, that's not to say there's not exciting rugby in amongst it, but I suppose it's just that narrative of winning the collision makes it all the more evident how much these players' bodies and and brains potentially are getting put through are getting put yep. through the mill. Uh, I mean, the thing for me that just feels like it could have been a very easy, um, easy win sounds too flippant, but a good starting point is training. We all know that the, the, the kind of the, and how you police it might be, might be somewhat different, but surely reducing the amount of impact in training across the board is a really good starting point in terms of reducing the amounts of collision. Yes, it's going to have a knock-on effect on what happens on a, a Saturday or a Sunday, but if it's the same for everyone, then at least you are making those players safer in the week and there is, there is less emphasis placed on, placed on collision and you're not going through that repetitive stuff through the week only to then go through the mill on a, on a Saturday as well. Yeah, absolutely. But who, who who monitors training? Well, it's a good point. Yeah, that, that is a good point as to as to who who polices it. But surely it's better to have a system in place and then fi- and then figure out exactly what the monitoring looks like. I don't know whether it's. I mean, every club training session should be should be videoed. I mean, it is videoed by them, mm. but then sent to the to the RFU or. Don't, I mean, there should be a concussion watchdog, shouldn't it? Yeah. 
in all the leagues, and and, and and I've argued this for a while, that that every every concussion, whether it's training or playing, is recorded. And then, you know, you... Because you, they always said, didn't they, you have more than one concussion in a year, mm. and it's got to be more than the ordinary stand-down. You, know, you, you have more than two. And, you know, you, you're talking... You know, in, in independent advice before before you return to play, there should be somebody overseeing all this. But we saw it in football the other day with with, with Arsenal with with Erdegaard, their captain. You know, he was missing a few games and nobody knew why. And then it sort of dribbles out, not officially dribbled out. He'd been suffered a concussion during training. The club hadn't said anything. And again, because it's you know it's 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 not there for everyone to see. They're not a, not obliged to say so, are they? Well, you know, the, but this this is where players in the RPA need to need to really take a firm hand on mm. this and make sure that all these training sessions recordings are, are handed over, so that you know, defenders can see if somebody has um, has has suffered a collision, which which may be genuinely missed. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a really good point. The other thing, other, other, otherwise, if not, you're just facing further actions down the line. Because the other thing is, if you look at, um, again, this is my, you know, with my kind of work hat on looking at who the the sponsors and, and kind of major uh, corporate um, people involved within uh, within rugby are, you see a lot of auditing firms and, you know, people like KPMG and, um, and Capgemini and these kind of things who are essentially, you know, professional auditors on a massive scale. They have vast experience within sport. Um, surely there is a role within you know, within what their capacity in the sport is, that they could they could shape a you know a, a model as to what that should look like, as to what a, you know an independent um, an independent body on on how to monitor all of this, monitor and audit yeah. all of this data to make sure that players are safe. It has to be, Jed. Has to be. Otherwise, the game you you wouldn't be able, you can't consider it if you're a parent when you're son and daughter to take up to take up rugby. Without that sort of independent scrutiny, you can't be satisfied that the, that the sport is safe. And until, as I say, there is an attempt by 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 the authorities to get away from this collision game, reduce the number of collisions, make it you know more of an emphasis on set plays and more of an emphasis on backs running against backs as it used to be, mm. which would be is what rugby should be at. Instead, it's rugby league, isn't it? You just got this defensive, you've got a breakdown where you've got two or three bodies, and then this defensive line fanned across the field. It's not um, no, and and I've been since the World Cup. The games I've seen have been quite disappointed. It's it's going back. I know winters winters now, mm. in, but it's going back. It's kicking and chasing and hounding and harrying and and that and, and, and that you see as being a there needs to be a you know a fundamental shift in shift in the way that the the game rewards attacking play. Rather than absolutely. rather than absolutely. just a few absolutely. tweaks of rules here and there, absolutely. Because we again, you're going about physicality. You know, Gloucester, Santi Carreras, Resamit. You know, attacking. Do you want to see them? Leicester just Leicester just took a stranglehold. Hardly played. Any. I mean, you know, Leicester went into the game in the Premiership, having covered a few meters, ball in hand, than any other team in the season, and 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 made fewer line breaks than anybody else. And they they were before that they're the only team without a try bonus one. Well, they squeezed one run again because Gloucester committed suicide, um, playing out of their own twenty-two at the end in the vain search for a bonus point themselves. But um, and given all that's gone on, 
that's that's not the way to um to to to, to get a new audience Right. Interesting stuff, Paul. We are going to take a quick break now. When we come back, uh, as I say, we are going to take a look at uh, George North moving on from the Ospreys, uh, the kind of the the wider implications of that as well. We're also going to take a look at some of the um, some of the back three options for Wales when it comes to uh, when it comes to the Six Nations. But as I say, first, we're going to take this quick break. Right then, Paul. I want to talk about um, about George North now. So, yeah, as we as we kind of touched upon in the first half, he's heading off to um, to Provence again. I don't think any of us would um, would begrudge him moving on to to take a you know a good a good payday. Uh, now he's into his thirties, he- heading away. Is it symptomatic? Do you think that if you look at George North's kind of um, regional career, uh, you know, kind of starting at the Scarlets? Uh, and then coming back to the Ospreys for, I think, five seasons now. Um, but I was kind of racking my brains and just thinking about kind of those, you know, those kind of standout moments for, for George North. For me, a lot of them were right at the start of his career before yeah. before he went to Northampton. And and again, I think it's yeah. less that he's got, you know, that he's declined as a player. I think it's more a result of just he doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily play as much... Um, as much meaningful rugby and you know his you know his his big outings really i know there's been lots of concussion and and, it, and that horrible injury the other year but you know his big his big outings ultimately are on have been on the international stage yeah and i i think the concussion thing is is big isn't it because i mean a sixth sense is bound to kick in when you've taken so many bangs to the head isn't it to make sure your head's in in, in the right place but you know moving from the wing to the center in a sense less less exposed uh, with, you know, sort of fewer. Uh, I remember, I remember it bad when he got playing playing for Northampton. Mm. When he was sort of diving in the corner and it was against wasps, and he was tackled, and it was um, took it took a knee to the head. So, so in a sense, less exposure to those types of incidents. But he's it's 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 sort of you know radically altered as a player. You looked at him in the World Cup, and he was probably you know Wales's defensive linchpin there, wasn't he? When and you, know, you imagine saying that seven or eight mm. years ago. <laughs> You know, your, your defensive, not mastermind, but but certainly the sort of key operator there. And that's a sign of how he's, you know, he's, he's sort of matured as a player and, 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 and how, his, how his game has grown. But when, you know, when he started out for, for the Scarlet, I mean, he was this, you know, this huge wing, wasn't he? Not, not John and him. I think, yeah. I mean, I think in a different, you know, in a different era, obviously, you know, Lomu was an absolute an absolute one off but also was at the start of at the start of professionalism and you know defenses were not as we said were not of the the rugby league standard that they are that they are today i mean north was still a, as a as a specimen and for me it wasn't just the the strength that he offered i think the he was such a balanced runner that actually mm. when when george north went to to look for space rather than to look for contact he was he was much more dangerous because if he got round you you know, just even by a fraction, you cut. You then would not have the the defensive strength to to bring him down. You had to be in the exact perfect position, um, and he was, yeah, complete. You know, completely destructive player right at the start of um, at the start of his career. Was what, what was his Wales debut? South Africa wasn't it? Was it? yeah, twenty ten. And he was bowling them, and that, that takes him doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At, at what age? Age eighteen, I think. Um, yeah. 
he was 19 at most. He was, yeah, certainly a teenager. Yeah, two, yeah, try, two tries, incredible stuff. Um, yeah. In terms, so sorry, think, go ahead. So, you know, you, you know, you can only wish him well if he's if he's off to Provence, but it'll be a, you know, a, a sort of final move you'd imagine in his career. He'd be he'd be well recompensed, and um, you know, he'll he'll draw draw a few down there, and it's 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 a good way to to see how his 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 clubs and and you know, with the with the budgets of the second division French clubs, most of them, virtually all of them, more than than the regions. You know, in order to keep him, the Ospreys would—you'd have to pay others far less, wouldn't you? And it's without without the marquee player system like they have in England, albeit only one now instead of two. It's when you know, when somebody gets an offer markedly above what you're paying them, and as they're getting older as well, it's it doesn't make any 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 economic sense to to try and retain. Them. We're talking of yeah, talking of kind of older players generally. I anticipate this is likely to be the first of many similar exits, particularly with the Ospreys yeah. and the Scarlets. You know, I think if you look at the Scarlet squad as well, the likes of of John Davis and Ken Owens, Scott Williams, these kind of players, who I think are all kind of coming towards the end of their contracts. Um, you know, as much as they as much as they bring experience, they're going to have to they're going to have to move them move them on, really, aren't they? In order to in order to stay kind of to stay, you know, even remotely close to um, to the uh, to the salary cap, and that you know, particularly if they want to strengthen the squad, you don't want to insult them by making a very low ball no. offer, do you? And that's the and, and you know, you look at you look at Saracens at the moment, the dilemma they've got because you know they've got two marquee players, Farrell and Toji. They can only have one tax season because contracts are up. So who do they give it to, Farrell or Otoji? Well, all the all the noise seems to be that Otoji is heading. Again, I don't know if this has been drummed up by an agent or something, but seems to be that you know the noise is that that Otoji is going to head to France. Well, yeah, the noise seems to be that Farrell will be the marquee player yeah. still. Well, um, he'll retain it, and which is an interesting choice because Farrell's what thirty-two, Otoji's what three, four years, three and a half years younger. So you would have thought, in terms of the longevity, that. It told you be the the one to go to, but I think Farrell's influence runs so deep there that they and and, and they clearly envisage him going on and on and on, and he's, he's he's as fit as a flea, isn't he? So, so why not? But um, you know, then it told you. I mean, you, you you can pay him, you can pay him whatever you want as a marquee player. But let's say let's say he's on eight nine hundred thousand. Suddenly, if he becomes part of the salary cap, even though it's going mm-hmm. up again in England, it'll come about four hundred thousand pounds. So. England, the RFU are talking about you know these hybrid contracts, but they'd have to they'd have to pay half a million quid probably to keep Toji to keep a Toji in England. Let's just touch on those hybrid contracts for a minute, Paul. Because again, it's not an area I um, I've particularly read up um, extensively on. How would that work then? In the you know, in the, is it is it similar to what we've had in in Wales in the past, where you've had the union picking up eighty percent? Yeah, you know, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, they haven't they haven't gone into details. So they're still thrashing out, but they're looking. They're looking for um, 25 hybrid contracts. <clears throat> so this is where um, the, the, the the wages of the player would be split between the RFU and the club. Now, at the moment, under the elite player agreements, clubs get so much a year per player they provide to the yeah. England squad. But they don't they don't get all that money. It goes into the Premiership Rugby's pot, and it's it's sort of it's shared out. So even if you don't provide 
one player to the England squad, you'll still get you'll still get some of the cuts. This height it would be split between the RFU and And the club, but not equally as we understand it. But they would be weighted in the RFU's favour. So let's say they paid four hundred, the club paid three hundred. So it's saving the club money, and it gives uh, the England head coach a greater degree of control than he has at the moment. And even to the extent that let's see, some harlequins about his playing. Pullback at times, rather than just just outside half. So, a far greater degree of control. Yeah, which is, I mean, which is interesting. Again, I wonder what the knock on, you know, the knock on impact on the integrity of the the Premiership is it, with that element of it. Because, you know, I, I understand working closely, but if you've got the, you know, the, the England head coach dictating what position, what position, you know, your your star player should play in, that that does feel like it's. Um, yeah, that that has, that has a massive impact on a club, you know. And it and it, it yeah, it reflects the financial position the mm. clubs are in. You know, even some like Exeter, you know, always been run. You know, they they've had to make some really tough decisions the last couple of years. Um, you know, they've had to sell assets just to try and try and balance the books, and it just just shows. And they they're not pulling in the crowds this season that they that they were last, probably ten fifteen percent down. And you know, and each each fan who doesn't come back. Then you, you know, how do you, how do you make up that loss of income? And it's, um, it's, 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 it, it's tough because the one, you know, well, the one thing, you know, about 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 players' wages is they they not go down, do they? Wage, you know, wage inflation always, you know, it's always it's always quite high, and you've got the you've got the threat of, of of France, Japan, even even URC, and it's, you know, it's, it's very very difficult for them. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Well, the other, the other, the other knock-on effects there, like you said, Paul, is that Steve Borthwick would get more access to you, know, more access and more control of those core twenty-five players. 
Now, we're seeing things go the other way in Wales, aren't we? Because realistically, there's going to be more and more players, even if they're above that 25 cap limit, playing elsewhere, playing in France, um, Japan, England, wherever it might be. And the reality is is that that's going to mean less and less time that, uh, that they're going to spend in the in the Wales camp as those clubs quite rightly want their want their pound of flesh. Um, which again is gonna is gonna sting things like I, sp- I suppose the, the rest week in the Six Nations is going, I'm right in saying, aren't I? I think that's being condensed. I, I, yeah, it is. I mean I, but and I and I think you know if there's a silver lining in this for Wales is that you know that global tournament you know, you're realigning the calendar, trying to get, you know, club fixtures published in the block and, and internationals. It's, you know, the um, the toing and throwing between club and country, that should be should be minimised. So, so so clubs should be able to stay with their, with their countries, you know, not, you know, if, if they're playing away from home, should be able to stay with their countries for longer than they do at present, unless, unless clubs continue to insist on, on calling them back when even though they haven't got a match or whatever. So you would have thought that as part of these talks, that, that, would, that would come into it, that... That the, the, the countries will be able to to keep hold of their players. So, for, so for the Six Nations, for example, now there's no there's no Premiership program in the, in this year's Six Nations. So there's no reason why, for example, Gloucester should call Rhys Emmett back. I didn't mm. to inspect him and check he's all right. There's no reason, is there? So you would hope you would hope that, that common sense would finally prevail on that, and players wouldn't be used as a in 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 the tug of war. Yeah, it's a good point. I suppose the other. The other thing that you've mentioned there in terms of, for example, Exeter crowds being down. Now, this is obviously something that, that you know, that we've we've seen, particularly if you take the, you take the Ospreys, kind of had some struggling crowds at, at times this season, as as all the, you know, as all the regions have. And, you know, you'd expect that to, to worsen at the Scarlets as their bad form continues. Dragons crowds have been far from spectacular as well. In terms of that lost revenue, you know, if you can't... Even the, the kind of the vague ups and downs over the years, the the gate receipts in in Wales are not enough to no. um, to to say that there's going to be any significant growth within that. So yeah. it has to come from somewhere else. Now, if the gates aren't there, broadcast is the one that you go looking at, right? That's where that's where the that's where the big money needs to come from. Now we know that the Premiership clubs uh, or Premiership rugby will be gunning for a much improved broadcast deal. Now this is going to, be, going to be difficult because there's less teams in the league. Um, where does that leave those clubs? Where does it also leave uh, the likes of the likes of um, the Welsh regions? You know, in in what is a, a a league that's so kind of disparate that you're going to have multiple different um, multiple yeah. different domestic global rights, yeah, multiple different domestic rights before you even get around to the global rights as well. You know, how hard is that going to be to to negotiate a big, you know, or an improved rights deal. Well, it's huge because how do you divvy it up? You know, because you because again, you look at the Six Nations. I mean, that's that's not divided equally, isn't it? I know there's a there's a merit element now for way for way where you finish in it, but the bigger unions still get a bit more than the um, than the smaller ones based on population mm. and chimney pots and, and, and all that and, and what they're bringing. To the to the to the commercial table. I mean, you and I know you take England out of the out of the Six Nations, um, you know, and, the, and 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 the other home unions combined wouldn't wouldn't be worth as much, would they? I mean, that's, no, that's just, yeah, so economics, isn't it? 
economic fact. Absolutely. So so you've got to you've got to concede that. But it's the same with someone like the URC. I mean, if the South Africans are bringing in more than than than, than the Irish, who are bringing in more than the Welsh, does that you know is that reflected in in, in how it's done? Or do you, do you have a, a a greater merit element? And those who finish in the top eight, for example, um, cash in. Before you even get to the divvying up stage, you've got to have some bidders at the table as well. Now, I think things have changed an awful lot. If you go back to when you started talking about uh, inflated wages, I think you can trace a lot of that back to kind of whatever it was, 2012, when BT Sport entered the market and mm. were throwing money around, having you know gone hard after Premier League football. They then picked up the rugby the rugby rights, which was a much improved... Yeah, that was, that was the big explosion in, in broadcast rights. Now, all, as far as I can see, being quite broad brushstrokes about this, the vast majority of that money just went on on player wages and bringing and bringing yes. different players in. Yeah. So it, it kind of came into the game and straight out the door into um, into into players' and agents' pockets. Again, that's not to, that's not to put slight on the players because they you know they they command a, a market value and, and the rest of it. But what it does mean is that ten years down the line. Because they renewed that during COVID, didn't they? The uh, the last deal, I think, and they were, you know, from what you can see, Sky were not in the slightest bit interested at coming back no. into that. So you just had BT kind of paying, you know, paying and agreeing to roll over the the same deal, albeit actually slightly worse for the clubs because there were at that point it had to be spread um, amongst more clubs. I think I think I'm right in saying that. Because uh, you had the thirteen clubs at that point in time when the original deal was done on twelve. Now, <laughs> obviously, you have le- you have less clubs now. You have less games. BT Sport is now owned by Discovery, so that changes the economics again. BT, you know, have obviously have exited the market in their in their previous guys. I would guess that Sky are probably still lukewarm to rugby generally, uh, with the exception of the Lions. They're not that hot. No, not, and not interested. And from the URC perspective, you've had, you know, you've had Premier Sports then be acquired by Viaplay, who have in turn, you know, already called their interest in most European things. Um, it doesn't leave a huge amount out there, you know. There, been, not... Again, what, what we said about the URC, the, the, the setup of it, when you look at TV deals, I mean, it's, all the TV deals are done domestically, aren't they? So Ireland mm. have theirs, theirs, South Africa have theirs. Which is why, again, if you're going to field your strongest team, you'll do it at home. So you'll satisfy your own television backers, won't you? Yeah. So going away, well, it doesn't matter if you're playing in Wales. You, you, you don't care about you know whether the Welsh TV uh, company's happy or the Irish one. You just satisfy your own thing. So you go full bore at home and weaker away. That's true. Um, Whereas in the again, Premiership, that's... You know that that's the home and away factor doesn't come in because you're all you're all under the same umbrella, same in the in the top fourteen, and it used to be the, the same when you had your domestic league in Wales. Yeah, you are under the same umbrella in the uh, in the um, in the Premiership, but then I suppose with the URC, well, certainly in the UK and Ireland, every game is televised, whereas it's not in. Um, I mean, to what audience is is very very questionable because we don't see a huge amount of publicized figures for for what Viaplay are doing my guess would be pretty bloody small if i'm honest on the on the games well, that they show they they do have them in the in the premiership but you've got to you've got to you've got to pay a supplement if you want to watch the non-televised games That's true, but, yeah 
but but there is like a, a season ticket available, so you can you 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 know every every game is is um, is able to be watched. It is again, you know, when you're promoting those in-house things, though, you need you know, let's say for example, the Premier League were to do it right. Now, I'm not saying it would work instantly in the first instance, but it's such a big draw, as we know, because Sky constantly, you know, have built a whole 30-year business on it. It is still such a big draw that you could do that. URC Rugby in particular, and Premiership Rugby for that matter, could never go with their own streaming service and say, buy, you know, like you do with the NBA or the NFL, because it's just not big enough. It needs a broadcaster and I'd argue a free to air broadcaster to give it the visibility in order that it doesn't just become an, an incredibly niche sport. Well, that's, you know, and that, that's the dilemma facing rugby now is it, as it, it you know, emerges from, from the pandemic battered and bruised financially and, and still reeling from the potential prospects of the concussion lawsuits is, you know, your crown jewels of six nations. Do you keep them on free to air? I mean, if they if they suddenly you know inflate the price, BBC and ITV will pull out one day because they won't be able to. They could, you know, just just as you know, Ospreys can't compete with Provence for George North. Similarly, BBC and ITV you wouldn't be able to compete with with some of the um, some of the subscription channels for um, for the Six Nations. So if it goes off free to air, even if you had the package of highlights, yeah, long term, what damage would that do do for the sport? Well, I have some pretty big opinions on this, but that's going to be the nice teaser into the last break. So stay tuned. Uh, if you need to, go and grab a cup of coffee. And when you come back, uh, we will be discussing just what I think those implications might be uh, if the Six Nations were to move behind a paywall coming up after this quick break. Right, Paul. We're into the last part of the show. Uh, I feel like we always get we always get quite deep, and sadly, unfortunately, in in recent times, it's often been um, yeah quite quite bad news stories as well. But I think it's important to tackle these these big issues, and I would definitely argue that free to air Six Nations is something that is absolutely essential for the the short and long term future of, of rugby in this country and rugby as a sport generally and the reason I say that is like we were discussing before the break the sport does not have a big enough wide enough fan base to be able to say we're putting this behind a paywall and here's you know here's where you're going to be able to here's where you're going to be able to see it and therefore alienating a big chunk of of your fan base it's just it is just not there. Rugby has not attracted a. I know every sport and every media outlet is obsessed with attracting a younger, a younger audience. But in rugby's case, it's not there at all. And there's there's some frightening um, studies out there that show just how small rugby could be. And mm. if you take if you take away the um, the free to air element, that's going to impact on your sponsorship revenue as well because. The sponsors want the eyeballs, right? They want the the big global, you know, the big reach that the Six Nations brings. Now, naturally, if you put it behind a paywall, whether it's Sky, TNT Sports, wherever it might be, it's going to be smaller because you're going to or Amazon, it's going to be it's going to be limited. So, I genuinely think that this is, you know, the the millions of viewers that you get on BBC and ITV are completely essential to keeping rugby in the shop window, even if it's only six six weeks of. Uh, of the season, it is absolutely um, imperative to do that. 
and you know, and club rugby within that, club rugby has struggled to attract those kind of big game hunters around, you know, who will watch England, Ireland or watch Wales, Scotland or whatever it is, has struggled to attract them over to the club game. If you put it behind a paywall, you've got absolutely no chance. You've got the same set, you've got the same set of fans just getting older and older until they're, and smaller and smaller until the sport is truly niche. And, I, and that's that's my take on it. Yeah, because I mean, it's happening in November, isn't it, with Amazon getting those into... I mean, I don't know what sort of figures they get, but but I can't imagine they're any, anywhere near what... Um, when you get on free to and, and you imagine you know the recent World Cup if that if that hadn't been on on ITV if that had been locked behind a, a paywall what sort of nations is not whether they take it this episode is brought to you by Shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Behind the paywall, but whether they put some matches mm. there. But again, if they do, you know the ones that... Um, It'll be in demand. It'll be England and France. Um, they'll they'll be the ones that um, just as when BBC and ITV split up, yeah, England home games, didn't it? Be? Exactly that for reasons. It made 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 sense for them. Um, but you know whether they whether they have because you've got you know three matches every weekend. Whether they have two on on terrestrial and one on one on one on uh, subscription. Um, or even even one and two, so you still have your free to air elements, but you you know you're increasing your money by 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 going behind the paywall. But I think once you take that step, there's no going back, is there? And and, and how long would that free to air element last? And, and and if you're in a position where, as cricket was back in what 2005 mm. 2006, where you're so dependent. On, on that on that extra income that you don't consider the long term implications of, of of your audience of attracting the young and of exposure, if you're just taking decision in the short term, then you know those the arguments that you've just put forward are not going to really be relevant to them, are they? No, that 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 is true. Even though they're they're totally valid, they won't be thinking along those lines because they just want the just want the extra income well i've often said as well that the you know if you're a ceo of premiership rugby or urc or even six nations fundamentally you're tasked with or chief commercial officer you're tasked with bringing money through the door and growing you know and growing your growing your revenues and and that's that's ultimately your job and if you do that job for five years you know or do it for two tv cycles and you grow it each time you're probably going to get a significant you know, you, you will be able to get a job in another big organization getting more money than before. And that is the danger. That is the danger of having sport be so commercial, particularly a sport like rugby, be so commercial that you are dependent on these people who perhaps are not interested in in the long-term vision of the game because for them it is a job. And if their job is grow the grow the uh, grow the revenue and move on, because that's my that's my next uh, that's my next um that's my next job, then then that's quite a dangerous position to be in because you know that's 
that's what happened yeah. in cricket essentially they went yeah okay well let's let's take the extra money and, and, and you know what happened in cricket now means means you know most top England players can walk down any street nobody recognizes them yeah and i've got personal experience of this as well you know where i had um, a mate of mine who um looking after one of the england cricketers uh, who won the world cup very recognizable test cricketer won the world cup with england uh, plays ipl and they were looking, yeah, they're looking for sponsorship deals. So essentially, you didn't have you didn't have that many. And you know, you think back to that Ashes side of two thousand and five. Most people, any general sports fan, would have been able to tell you seven or eight players in there. That you know, they were all, you know, Freddie Flintoff was doing adverts. Um, they were hugely recognisable figures within the the wider kind of sports landscape. And when England won that Cricket World Cup in twenty nineteen, again, you're right. They most most of them could walk mm. down the street. You know, maybe yeah, maybe not in India, but it's, but in but in England they couldn't walk no. down the street. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that that's the sad thing. And again, I mean, it's always what you know rugby players leave Wales for England sort of season. They can go to a supermarket in, you know, in their home in England, and nobody bothers them as you do the same in Wales, and they will be recognised. But it's um, you know if it, if it if it got if it got to that stage in Wales where players could walk down and not many recognise them, then you know you've got an issue. Major yeah. issue because you go you know, because it, it is then one of one of one of identity, isn't it? One of um, of, uh, 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 of sort of you know acknowledgement of, um, of 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 how rooted rooted the game is. Yeah, this is true. The, the the one final point on this before we move it back to some on the field matters is as we were saying there, in order to split up any revenues, you've got to have parties at the at the table ready to bid. Now, this is where. Six Nations and domestic rugby, I think, is vastly different. Is, for example, I can't see Amazon necessarily having a huge interest. Certainly not having much interest in the URC. Um, potentially Premiership rugby, but if I'm honest, I don't necessarily see that. Now, something like Six Nations is marquee enough that that it would attract someone like that. Um, but again, outside of that, you know, Six Nations, you know, you it's not a, a huge bidding war like you would have. You would have had ten no. years ago, you know, where you would have no. had the the ESPNs and and then BTs and, and all these people kind of coming to the party with you know desperate to get a, a piece of some some kind of prime uh, top tier sporting real estate. You know, you are looking at a few key people who might have the money to do it. And it's, I mean, I mean, I think Sky would be in this. I do, yeah. There would be no, but I think I think in this Six Nations they they would be. But it, you know, if it comes to the point where you know the Six Nations are looking for someone that is beyond the BBC and ITV, and let's face it, with the BBC with the license fee frozen, I mean there might be a, well, well there will be a change of government within the next year. Um, whether that will make any difference to, to, to the to, to the license fee that starts going up again, but with ITV similarly constrained, you know if they're looking for anything, you know, you know an above inflation increase. Then it's not going to come from terrestrial, is it? No. Maybe either they got or run the risk of you know reducing the game's exposure at the top level. Yeah, which again is is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. While we are talking Six Nations, though, Paul, obviously you know a, a lot of rugby has been played this weekend and and in the previous weeks. And I wanted to talk uh, um, this week about Wales's back three options. Um, and we discussed a few weeks ago the, the potential of, of Lewis Rees-Samet potentially moving to 15 or Josh Adams doing the same thing. 
which would allow possibly Rio Dyer to come into the squad. But another name who's been making headlines in England is Emmanuel Feuerbozo, who moved yeah moved from Cardiff to then Wasps to um, to Exeter and has, has started the season in really you know really kind of blistering form. Is he a player you could see featuring in Warren Gatland's squad or Steve Borthwick? Well, yeah, Borthwick was at Newcastle yesterday to watch him score. In, in, what, 30 seconds he mm. scored a try, didn't he? I mean, he's, he's, I, I remember watching him for Wasps, ooh, two, was it two seasons ago? Um, they played Newcastle in the, um, whatever the Premiership Cup mm. was called at that time. Or a try, but he set it up from in his own half. And it was one of the... This is the one he uploaded to the scrum half inside him. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was just strength. But I mean, you 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 sat him. Who is this kid? And um, and so he, you know, he, he said that he took a while to settle. I mean, obviously, you know, you lose your job at Watson, and he had to change because he's studying medicine, isn't he? Was yeah. at Aston, and then transferred over to Exeter, so he's still studying medicine down there. So juggling the two, the, the two has been difficult. I had a chat with him about four or five weeks ago, and. Um, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I did ask about international, but I, I, mean, I think Wales, Wales would be his his preferred preferred option um, by by a long way. But he was just he just wanted to cement a place with Exeter, prove himself, and then and then use that to attract um, Gatlin's attention, which I think he would have done. I mean, he's got what was that his third try of the season? But he's you know he doesn't he does make dents, doesn't he? And he's, um, he's 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 got pace, and he can play <clears throat> he can play play in midfield as well. Not, uh, not 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 wing, but certainly um, you know a, a good good option to have. And for the first time in his career, he's put a put a run of games together. Yeah, well, another another player who who does both the the midfield and wing option is Mason Grady, who's been playing on the wing for Cardiff and has looked absolutely superb. I have to say, in the you know, regardless of um, you know what the results have have been prior to to Friday night, I think he's been a real standout player. Playing with eleven on his back most of the most of the time, do you think he could be an option for for Gatland, or does he very much see him as a thirteen in the long run? No, I mean I, th- I think I think you think think he'd be flexible. When he's, I mean, you know, he's got he's got to be jet. I mean, again, you you'll, you'll assess assess all these options in training when you as well as as well as watching him play, but how they you know how they react within within his environment. I mean, he, you know, that Osprey's um, fullback, he looks, he looks quite useful as well. I mean, he's another one. I know there's a, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a, a query about whether he's eligible to play for Wales, isn't he? Because he's English, but he's edu- educated here, isn't he? Yeah. Such, whether the whether student counts in his residential qualification or whether, as the rules seem to, seem to, seem to hint that um, if you're a student, you're regarded as still living at, 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 at your home in in another country, but I mean, he he he, he looked um, he's looked he's used. had a very good start to the season, Max Nagy, and as yeah, again, you put in some some decent performances last last year. The player I really like at fullback is uh, is Cam Winnett, who I think has been brilliant for Cardiff, and again shows kind of you know he's got real attacking flair and some real ball handling skills that we've seen at the under twenties. I think what he's done well, particularly in the last couple of games. Is he's looking to yeah you know, he he's improved on the the high ball element and the defensive part of his game which again is really difficult when you're doing it in you know in a side that in a backline that's really been cobbled together over the summer you know you've got you've got you've got two centres playing on the wing you've got Halaholo and 
and Lilo at, at times who've you know who've essentially been let go and then come back again. Um, you know, fine players that they are. Um, and then you've got you know you've got an outside half who's really been plucked from obscurity. And you know, I think to kind of to come into a side in what is not a settled backline and look that comfortable. And actually, Jacob Beetham, the other fullback, has looked has, has looked good as well. But Winnet is the one for me who I think has got real star quality at fifteen in the long run. And what you know with Gatland is if you see something, you'll have a, you'll have a, a further look. I mean, he talks about George North, captured 18, mm. half penny was, he was only 90. Yeah. He doesn't worry about how young they are, how many games they played. If he sees something, he'll, he'll have a closer look. Yeah, and I, I, I do get, I do get that feeling. Do you, do you think, because Kai Evans is another, is another player who's been, he has been mooted and he is, I would say, a much more... He Obviously, he's got a Wales cap already. He was in that training squad. Gatlin will have had a good look at him. I would say Kai Evans is more of a neat, you know, a neat and tidy player than than someone like Cam Winnett, who is, you know, will um, has a much bigger counter-attacking threat. We always think of Gatlin as kind of playing pragmatic, you know, pragmatic rugby. What do you think he's looking for in his... In his in his back well, like- Does he want a, st- a touch of stardust? Or, you know, would he, again, rather somewhat... Would he rather someone who's who does the basics well i i you know it, it'd be interesting because he, he hasn't got damn bigger anymore he won't have a handscombe so you haven't got that controlling 10 that you're used to whoever comes in whether it's sheeny lloyd or anybody else you're not gonna it's you know the the there'll be a, a radical shift at outside mm-hmm. half you know is 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 um is, is is very much a, a centre. He's not a second five, is he? You know, he plays a twelve. He's played a thirteen for Saris, isn't he? But you know, very very good centre, but not a second five. So, if you're looking for a second playmaker, do you then have it at fullback? Mm. And will he want a second playmaker? Given given the upheaval at outside half, may well do. Depending on who he who he settles on at ten. So if he goes for that second playmaker at fifteen, for example, uh, you know, figure. Bit like Alex Good at at, at at Saracens or England when they play Marcus Smith there, then again it's 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 um, you know a, a sort of radical departure certainly from the Gatland the Gatland teams of old. But you know Bigger was such a controlling influence, wasn't he? It was such a good kicking game. Are you going to you're going to be able to replicate that? And if you can't, then you've got to have something else. And, yeah, and I, I think playmakers come in different shapes as well, don't they? That I think you can have someone who is a distributor and a you know essentially a second ten, or you can have someone who um, you know like a winner who can unlock the door. You know, or to a certain extent, Liam Williams as well. Not that you bring him in as a you know a, a first receiver much, but you know you have a counter attacking threat in the back line as well. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that that change in ten is going to change the, the whole dynamic of the of the back line. Um, yeah, I suppose if you want if you want another ten, the only the, the the leading option in there is probably Kai Evans. If you want the the continuity, I, I would say it probably Reece Sammet is the is the the easier fix as someone who's been playing regularly in that back line, and you know, and enables you to bring in probably Dyer on the wing, who again is you know is is getting more and more experienced. So um, it'll be interesting to to see how um, how that pans out. Um, but that pretty much brings us up to the hour, Paul. And uh, yeah, again, I, it's good that we've good that we've uh, addressed some on the field issues. But there is an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of stuff that rugby has just got to get right at some point. And um, yeah, it had absolutely has to get right, absolutely has to. And it's you know it starts it starts on the field, doesn't it? Because 
you know, when you talked about the tendencies, you, you know, you go back to the end of the 90s, Lens are getting two or three, months are getting two or three, Ulster mm. just a few more. You know, and they used Europe as the vehicle to drive spectators through the gates and succeeded. Munster first, then Leinster. And else they succeeded. And attendances went up, what, five, sixfold. And that's what, you know, in Wales, they've been trying to do with them um, and, and failed. But, you know, Europe has, 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 has been a desert for Wales where it's been an oasis for Ireland. And, while I've still got you then, and we're talking about off-the-field matters as well, obviously the fallout of the the, the kind of report into um, the WRU wrongdoings came out last week. Do you feel that the WRU have got the right people and the right structure in place to make a, a positive change now? Or, you know, are we are we still going to be dealing with the, the fallout of, of what happened before for years to come? Um, at the top, no. I, th- I think they, you know, they've moved in the moved in the direction that a you know a big business like the Welsh Rugby Union should. I mean, it's you know, you know as soon as you as soon as you transition from from amateurism to to professionalism, you you know you need that change in admin. Well, it happened very very slowly in Wales, and it was still sort of you know the 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 community game by and large running the pro game. I mean, you needed the separation, didn't you? That that at last has happened, but it's you know what you and I think we talked about this before. What is what is of vital importance is is that you know those who are now in charge, you know, recognise it's not just about the professional game. It's you know the community game is as important, if not slightly more so, because it represents the future. And that if you if you just chuck your resources in at the top end, as England have been mm. doing, you know, in the last couple of years, and and you know they could be paying for that and you know you you do so at the expense of the future then you know ultimately there's going to be a price to pay so you what you've got to get you've got to get that that balance right but but of course um you know by by bringing in a lot of outside business experience you know good good to generate finance but they've got to understand the rugby that they're dealing with as well and the the, the nature of the nature of Welsh rugby and that's that's probably more difficult, isn't it? It's getting that getting getting that balance right. But certainly there had to be radical change in the hands. Well yeah, and, and talking of radical change, yeah, we often talk about these things of yeah, you know, like we said again tonight, ripping up the rule book and looking at different things, completely different solutions, whether it's a uh, you know, looking across the bridge to try and join forces with England and, and create a you know a domestic league there that would that would that would generate more interest in, in Wales or it's um, or is looking to to really invest in in the school system and the academy system to produce and the coaching to produce better quality players more consistently. Do you think those conversations are going on at the WRU, or is it a, a question of firefighting and getting through the next you know three, six, twelve months? I would imagine they're going on with clubs. Yeah. I would imagine there. Um... Yeah, interesting. Whether I mean, whether because there's so much happening within you, they, I think you would have had those conversations certainly a couple of years ago, probably before COVID. Yeah. They'd have been talking. I mean, yeah, that 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 for me, if you, if you're going to maintain a regional system, that is the type is with England, isn't it? It's not. It's not with um, with the other mm-hmm. countries in URC. It's because you know you've got you've got 
you've got away fans again, haven't you? You've got um, all right, there'll be some some long trips, but I mean, you can you can follow your team away as well, can't you? You can make it make it a you know season season long odyssey, which at the moment, unless you're very well healed, you can't. No. Can you? You know, how many how many times in the old days would you know fans say, "Well, I've watched every game this season." Not many will say that. Now, well, and what's, the, what's your motivation to uh, to stump up the money to take a trip over to Dublin, pay eight pound a pint? You know, I love Dublin as well. But you know, pay eight eight pound for a pint of Guinness and then watch you know Leinster's thirds run over you. Um, exactly. You know, or, or yeah. what what is the what's the the benefit to that? Whereas actually. You know, much more realistic a trip down the road, down down the to somewhere down the M4 to watch, um, to watch a side in a league that isn't heavily lopsided towards your home games. It's going to make you know it, it is going to make for much more interesting week week by week rugby. I mean, I mean, you'll see it now in the in the, in the coming weeks in the in the, in the Champions Cup because Cardiff they're the only Welsh team. They're at home to Bath, yeah. aren't they? Even though it's eight o'clock on the Saturday, and are they home to Harlequins? Um, not sure. I think I think they hope they're nothing at eight o'clock on a Saturday as well. So not the mm. greatest kickoff. But those those are the games you should be looking to, to sell out, regardless of how they get on get in, in, into losing you. Cardiff Bath, you know, I, you know I, I remember watching those games back in the day. Um, you know, certainly from the nineteen eighties, nineteen seventies, Bath went to draw, but from the nineteen eighties onwards, big game, big game. Remember, remember the Nice Bath game. When Jonathan Davis was was at this pomp, you know, but, hey, but the, what year would this been, What year would hmm? this have been? I, I'm going to have to say no, actually, because oh, I don't remember. I don't remember it, Jiffy at Nice. That would have been before my time. No, I would. I would have been one. <laughs> I mean, they were, they were climbing yeah. the pylons to watch a game of the go pack there. Absolutely huge, and that's you know. That's that's the chance. Cardiff pass, pack him in. If it's you know five or six thousand for that, then you know, there's something wrong. Even given the kickoff, there's some, something wrong. Yeah, there. no, I, and I think again, those those fixtures will will spring out on the fixture list enough. Uh, you know, enough to to again. I, I look at some of the. Uh, I just think that that Cardiff Harlequins game a couple of seasons ago, where they pulled out you know school teachers and uh, you know the real dirty oh, dozen yeah. um, fields. Yeah. I think it was in between lockdowns or something as well. So they were able to get a good crowd, get a good crowd in. And certainly the atmosphere sounded brilliant, you know, even if it was a restricted crowd. So I'm, I'm sure that those guys, you know, Bath Harlequins will, will still be, will still be a draw um, to the likes of Cardiff. That's, and they really want to push, push. I mean, I know it's December, which, you know, can be a tough sell before Christmas, but, you know, those, those, to really push, try and get a, a crowd, get a bit of interest, and you know, win, and you know what it, what it, what it can spawn. That's just, it just needs, just needs something like that, doesn't it? Just to, just to kick it all off. It does, and we've not got long to wait, have we? We've got one more. Um, I think we've got one more weekend of domestic in inverted commas action this weekend, and then we're into Europe. So, in inverted commas, um, so uh, yeah, not that domestic is massively domestic, and Europe is massively European anymore, but we will. Be reviewing all of those here on the Attacking Scrum. So a big thank you to Paul for joining us. A thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, thank you as always to our sponsors at So Coffee. If you want to get some great quality coffee, hampers and all sorts of gifts for any coffee-loving 
relatives or friends uh, that you may want to get a gift for head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk and uh, um, I think we've still got um, uh, listener offers you can get some uh, get a percentage off if you go via our um, our pinned tweet as well so yeah take a look and and uh, yeah we'll be back to chat rugby with you very very soon thanks for listening Podcast Network.